Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer at 11FS. 11FS is a well-known consultant in the financial services space that specifically helps traditional financial institutions launch digital products. They also happen to be host to the number one FinTech podcast in the world that I can never seem to catch. So uh, always good to connect with them. And with that, here's my interview with Eric. Eric, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll have to have you on. Have you been on the show? I haven't yet. You know, it was... Um, we got to make that happen. Who's the gentleman who runs the podcast? I forget his name. I mean, there's David Breer, who's the founder CEO. No, so, and then there's so, our so media David, team. Yeah. Yeah. So funny story. David and I connected in February before the pandemic took hold. I think it was February and or was it January? Regardless, he was supposed to be in Toronto like, yep. in April. Yeah. So we had made we had made plans to get together, grab a drink and you know, record each other's podcast. And that went sideways, just like everything else. Right. So and someday, well, someday, I'll, one, one day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. So we, um, we had an office in New York and also we had been gearing up the end of 2019 and into early 2020, we were going to take FinTech Insider on tour in North America. So it was like five cities. It was New York, Charlotte, San Francisco, Chicago, maybe. And we were going to go to Toronto as well. We had it all set up. It was going to be this big thing scheduled for April of 2020. So ultimately ended up not being able to do that, but hopefully we can get back over to Toronto and see you pretty soon. The old man, man plans, God laughs routine, right? So we'll, uh, <laughs> one day, one day. Anyway, so uh, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer and Commercial, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer at 11FS. Tell us about 11FS. So 11FS, so we're um, five and a half years old now. So still, you know, very much a startup. We work with traditional financial service institutions to help them navigate the challenges and opportunities of digital in their industry, essentially. And that's what guides us. You know, we have this philosophy of digital financial services are only 1% finished. It's, uh, you know, it's a very day one of mm -hmm. digital financial services in our mind. And so we help companies um, help them figure that out. So we do a lot on the strategy side, you know, helping big banks, insurance companies, payment providers, uh, wealth management businesses, navigate those changes, where are the opportunities, where are the challenges coming from, how should you adapt and evolve your business model with what's going on. And then we do, and probably what we're most known for is actually product development within that vein. So we will come in and we've got a full service team, research, product management, design, engineering, we'll come in and help to build a greenfield digital proposition for these traditional companies. So that's the that's essentially the consulting business. That's a lot of what I spend my time on now. And then we also have a couple of products ourselves. So we have a, a product called Pulse, which is a library of fintech user journeys from around the world. So we have hundreds of contributors in different countries all over the world that send us video screenshots of the fintech apps in their country. So if you're a head of innovation, head of digital at a big bank or insurance company or whatever, you can see what these fintech apps look like. Most people, or traditionally before having something like Pulse, it was about downloading these apps onto your phone and playing around with them. And now you can see what good looks like and benchmark your app and your products against it. And then we're also building, um, building out 11FS Foundry, which we're calling the operating system for the future of financial services. So that's still in the early stages, but a lot of exciting stuff to come there. And then of course, there's the whole media team and presence and the podcasts and the events and the reports that we do. And that's probably where most people first come into contact for us. We get 60,000 downloads a week on FinTech Insider and our reports seem to get pretty good distribution. So really that part for me is just about, we've got some really smart people in the company and a lot of smart people in the industry that we know. We try to bring them together and give them a platform to share what they know and hopefully add value to financial service professionals out there. 
Fantastic. So first off, your, your Pulse product is, sounds hilarious to me simply because I basically have folders upon folders of nothing but fintech apps on my phone. So I, I live that pain. I, I, you know, I don't really call it pain, I call it curiosity. So I'm okay with it. And the Foundry product, so operating system. We're going to come back to that. I got questions for you about that. But before we go there, let's talk about your history and your role specifically within the uh, FS11, the 11FS uh, ecosystem. Yeah, sure. So I am American originally. I'm from Boston. I'm actually back in Boston right now recording this. I'm here to see family, uh, mm-hmm. spend the summer over here. But I've been ba- based in London for the last five and a half years. My background is I, I did some startups in the U.S., And then I spent 10 years in the advertising agency world before coming to 11FS. So my background is marketing, branding, creative, paid media, production, that whole world. Came to 11FS originally as chief marketing officer. So I oversaw the media side, all the content, and then also the marketing side. How do we drive growth of our business? And about six months in conversations with David and the the leadership team, we expanded my role to include the commercial side. So sales, and then also uh, a lot of what I'm spending my time on now, which is running our consulting business as well. So I, I feel like I'm still new to fintech, even though I'm two and a half years in. It's just been fascinating personally for me just to be learning from the people here and the people out in the industry. And obviously, there's so much going on. So yeah, my, my background is very much in the kind of marketing growth corner of things and just learning as much as I can and really enjoying these last two and a half years in the space. I find it funny that you still refer to yourself as new when at the end of the day, this is fintech. If you're not paying attention for six months, you're back to square one in a lot of cases. It's it's not surprising and pretty typical. Okay. So before we go diving into the main reason I'm having you on the show, which is to talk about your specific contribution along the lines of how it's, it's a big enough challenge to have traditional line businesses do something digital because of a lot of legacy systems and profit centers that might get challenged. But the marketing of that is another layered challenge I want to get into. But before we get there, take me back to this concept of uh, Foundry. You said it's like an operating system for fintech. If you want to pique my interest, that is yeah. the best way to do it. Is tell me something yeah. outlandish like that. Well, I cannot do justice to a fantastic mm. sizzle video that the team has done that uh-huh. really tells the story in a much more compelling way than I be able to. So head on over to 11fs.com, check out Foundry. That's the best place to uh, see what we're building and what we're all about. But basically it comes from this insight or idea, hypothesis, if you will. There's obviously so much disruption happening in the core banking technology space, big challengers taking on the incumbents in that world. And that was a space that we looked at, but ultimately where we think the, the puck is going, if you will, is that you need the technology, but really it's the layer on top of the technology that delivers the intelligent value-adding experience to the end consumer that's going to differentiate successful propositions from not successful propositions. So you need the technology, yes, but what we're trying to build with Foundry is the level on top to really be able to enable those intelligent propositions, which is really what everybody should be going for. All right. Well, that's a little bit cryptic. I will definitely go check out the sizzle <laughs> video. So let's get back to the main reason I had you on. Okay. So we've already, and I've already had a couple other consultants who've worked at, you know, large traditional mainline industries or banks basically talk about the challenges of setting up new digital offerings. Again, you know, you have, everybody's got their little fiefdom, there's traditional lines of business, there's challenge, there's profit centers, and oftentimes trying to compete with the fintechs out there. The reality is the fintechs all came in on an angle. They came in 
with a method of monetization that challenges your model. Because at the end of the day, part of their value proposition had to be on cost. So it's really hard to do that. But you know, even if they success- successfully say they want to do that and they commit to it and they want to launch something, the marketing challenge is not insignificant because you can't do some of the outlandish stuff like you know, we've seen in the past with, you know, like I said earlier, people streaking through the streets of London to promote the new fintech starting up or some of the crazier things I've seen. So talk to me about the kind of evolution of that discussion. You know, you go in, they're like, okay, we've got this product. How do you get them from, oh, let's just make it look like this thing we did before to something that's going to appeal to a different demographic? Yeah. Well, I guess taking it from the very top, what I find fascinating here at 11FS and also in past lives and various jobs is I've always kind of had a foot in both worlds, the startup world and the corporate world. And that's very much where 11FS sits. We're really a fintech company, but we work with traditional organizations and financial services. And so it's really interesting to see the different perspectives and approaches that startups to traditional companies take to everything. But, you know, we're talking about marketing, so let's focus on that. And so that that's really what's fascinating to me is like the startups are able to grow faster in many cases because of the approach that they take to marketing and their go-to-market. And really, yes, it's because they're small, they're agile, they're able to move quickly, they're, you know, able to take more risk and all these different things. But really what it comes down to for me is the way that they market is more fit for purpose for the world of today than their traditional competitors. Because traditional businesses have a model for marketing that was designed and developed five years ago, 10 years ago, and some places and some companies I've worked with, it feels like even longer ago than that. And the more relevant and modern and current your marketing approach is, the better results it's going to be able to drive. Taking that down one more level, I think particularly early stage fintechs, one of the things that they do really well is they view marketing as an opportunity to improve the product and make the company more customer centric. So in the early stages, a lot of these companies are, a lot of them will say they don't do marketing. I think they do do marketing. They just might not do the big TV campaigns or the big billboard campaigns or the traditional communication extension of marketing. But if you go back to the four P's of marketing, classic marketing, big one is product. Marketing is the function within an organization that should be closest to the customer. It is what connects the product to the customers that you're building it for and trying to reach. And what a lot of fintechs do well is marketing becomes the bridge to help the product team make a product that is more valuable and delivers on the needs of the customer. So functionally, what that looks like, a lot of fintechs will have marketing roll up to the chief product officer. Mm. Or if they don't have that and they do have a CMO, the CMO will work very closely with the product team. Their team is not siloed. And so they have not, you know, like I say, the best marketing is a great product at the end of the day. And so they are very focused on how can you use marketing to improve the product that they're developing. And of course, they're going through iterations of the product so much quicker than traditional businesses. So they have that feedback loop. They have the voice of the customer at the table. They're able to do it more quickly. I think to your point of uh, you know people running through the streets of London naked, there, I think there is a certain appetite for risk within these companies. They are the challengers. They are the Davids taking on the Goliaths. They're looking to shake up the industry. So that naturally leads them to a place where creatively and how they build their brand and how they do these activations, they're willing to do things that may be a traditional brand wouldn't be willing to do. And what that says to me is one of the biggest risks in marketing in the world of 2021 is not that you do the wrong thing. It's that you do something that doesn't get noticed. You have to cut through, you have to break through. And again, these fintech brands are naturally designed for that because of who they are. 
but it comes out in their marketing. And so I think even if you're a big bank and you don't want to have people run through the streets of London naked, you can't just have a beige campaign out there that nobody's going to pay attention to and nobody's going to remember. Good marketing communicates the story of your business in a way that is compelling, relevant, and differentiated. And so that's what any CMO or any business needs to be focused on, whether you're a startup or whether you've been around for 100 years. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you talk about the rolling up of the um, of the marketing into the product. And, and that really makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because it creates a, co- a cohesion. You're almost part of the UX in that, in that regard, right? The marketing's got to feed into the product and vice versa, because you need to have that unbroken chain of the, the marketing promise and expectation versus the actual user experience when someone ties into it. And that's that's a very different approach than what we've seen traditionally in just about every line of business where it's like, hey, we developed this, now sell it. Right. And I got a, you actually saying the way, saying the way you said it actually just answers so many questions for a lot of the more successful fintech companies I've seen in terms of the unbroken kind of user experience, whether they're marketing to a demographic or a niche or, or a specific use case, how everything from the, everything from the marketing to the sign up to all of it is, is basically in that language or that experience. So it makes a lot of sense. Is that something, is that something you see happening, you know, starting to infect other areas of, of the, in, of the world in general, or is that still something that's largely, you know, in the technology sphere? I'm trying to think of specific example. I think in general, that's the direction of travel. Challenger businesses in any sector are thinking about how they can add more value. That's the approach that they take. And a lot of that is through the product, but a lot of it is through the marketing. That to me is the is page one of the modern day marketing playbook. How do you add value to the customer that you're trying to reach? And that leads to different content, that leads to different paid media executions, that leads to different strategy, that leads to a different way that you set up your team internally. And I think that's a big difference is modern marketing to me, and certainly marketing within startups and fintechs is about adding value. Whereas traditional marketing is more about extracting value. It's about how do you get this customer to do that thing? And of course you need to deliver the business results, but actually in today's day and age, when there's so much choice, so much competition, being the business and the brand that delivers more value is going to deliver better business results in the long term. Agreed. It's it's difference between you know you said it's extractive versus kind of almost collaborative. And that's a subtle nuance that many people can't wrap, wrap their heads around. But for even in my business, it's I don't really sell. I sell without selling. At the end of the day, yep. I advise, and people make a decision. And some of them, some of those decisions, once I'm done advising, are just you look at it and say, if I did anything else, I'd be it'd be stupid. Right. Like, cause it's, you know, it's, it's that, it's that blatant in front of you. So it uh, makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, how much, and one of the things I got to say here too, in terms of the marketing challenges that some of these existing companies face, I mean, we know they're not going to go do the extreme things necessarily because they don't want to alienate the mass market that they've cultivated for so long. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, to me, one of the other key pieces of efficacy that were one of the keys to efficacy that I see in the marketing is that most of these niche uh, of these fintechs target one specific demographic, speak to that demographic yeah. or one specific niche offering and speak to that one, you know, that that pain that people have so clearly and transparently that it's like, oh yeah, I deal with this on a regular basis, whether that be international currency transactions or just trying to pay bills in your business, right? It's like, oh my God, finally someone gave me a better solution for that. And it's really hard for the all-encompassing giant to basically say, yeah, we do that also. When they were the ones who, in their, you know, in, in the user's mind, well, yeah, but the reason I'm using this new thing is because you sucked at that. How do they break through that without, like, what are what are some strategies, tactics, or or or, or abilities to do that without alienating the whole? I think you need to think about branding and marketing completely differently. The traditional way of doing it is we have our customer base. 
we have 18 to 35 year old males in Canada. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as an average human being. There are different people that have different experiences and perspectives and different needs and different wants. Like, you know what I mean? And so what you see fintechs doing, exactly your point, I was going to say, I was actually going in that direction already based on how you preface this. The more specific you can be, the more relevant you can be in your communication, which means the more value you can deliver, which means the better conversion and business results you're going to get. And so Mm -hmm. fintechs, by the nature of being small, are usually shaving off a piece of the market so they can be more specific in how they communicate and what they say they offer. But even if you are a big bank or, you know, if you have a massive customer base, what you need to be thinking about is how can you segment down as far as possible so that you can be more relevant and add more value to the audience that you're trying to reach? And that is a huge opportunity of digital, which again, maybe goes without saying, but a lot of these fintechs are very focused on digital, if not exclusively on digital, they're certainly digital first in the marketing approach that they deliver. And that allows them to be more relevant because they can segment their audiences better, but it also gives them more feedback on what's working. And then of course, with things like running through the streets naked, sometimes you get something that hits a spark and it goes somewhat viral and people are talking about it 10 years later or whatever it is. So I think that's a big piece of it. Like to me, that's one of the fundamental shifts in marketing over the last 10 to 15 years with the internet and mobile at scale is it's no longer about your mass audience, because there was never a mass audience. You just couldn't speak to certain segments of it efficiently and effectively. Now you can. And so you need to be breaking that down in order to be relevant. And like I said, with value being the thing that you should focus on in order to be more valuable to that audience and those customers. Yeah. I mean, we see the same trend in my industry and in financial advice is simply because there's plenty of data out of, the, out of the US and other places that shows that people who, advisors who specifically target you know, very, very tight niches tend to grow at rates up to double their competitors. And it makes perfect sense. You know, if someone can speak directly to your pain, to your challenge, to whatever it is you're, you're having difficulty with versus someone says, Oh, by the way, we do. Yeah, we do stuff. We do, we do it for, yeah. we do it for all these people. Like who are you going to go with? Right. You know, the classic, the, the most specific example I ever found that was on, he was on the episode of Michael Kitts's podcast was a guy who specializes in uh, dealing with people who win big fishing championships. Sounds like yeah. an interesting niche, but at the end of the day, these are people being handed six figure checks for the first time and getting endorsement deals. And like that guy works only in that niche and understands that world. Who else are you going to go to? It's like, here's the check, talk to him, right? Same basic principle applies to marketing in, in, in FinTech. It's, Hey, there's some fintechs in this world that basically have just kind of almost cornered the mind on market share in certain demographics and functions. And that is unbelievably valuable because now they become a default. And the only way they could do that was by not targeting everything, but by targeting the one thing. And I don't know who said it first, but it's something that some quote akin to the fact that when you market to everybody, you technically market to no one. Yeah, exactly. Um, So big reversal. Now, other kind of question I want to, I want to basically ask you is, is how much do you think the negative hangover of 2008 and the global financial crisis kind of impacts the demographic marketing that these people are doing, right? So, you know, whether it's launching a robo-advisor or something they see that is targeted at, you know, the next generation of people, how much does that hangover basically inhibit the willingness of that demographic or eagerness of that demographic to work with traditional vendors? The honest answer is I don't really know. I think with things like this, it's always couched in what your own personal opinion and perspective is. But what I will say is I think when you're on the inside of an industry, it's so easy to overthink things and you can find patterns and correlate and all those things and you string it all together. I mean, for the average consumer, I really think it comes down to what's the product that adds the most value? What's the marketing that most resonates with me? 
and you know, there's other components, of course, but I think people are just going to choose the thing that they think is best yeah. going to do what they need it to do. Sure. Like there is some baggage and some, you know, just in the water culturally, especially in the US and I don't know as much in Canada, but of like, oh, big bank or maybe being yeah. a little bit averse to that. And maybe that did soften up the ground for these fintechs to come in. But I think at the end of the day, people just choose the tool that will get the job done at the best price. And there's a lot of, uh, there's also a lot of social proof around that as well. Besides uh, product, the best product being the best marketing. Second best marketing is people who you know and trust already telling you that you should do something. And so you see a lot of these fintechs taking that approach, you know, Venmo way back in the day. Can you get people on it, get that network effect so that people are pulling in people for you? So it is still marketing, but it's just much more effective marketing. Again, it's not the over the top, you know, really expensive, big campaign marketing. So I think that, I think that that's what they're focusing on. And, you know, maybe traditional companies are fighting a bit of an uphill battle there. But to me, it really comes down to the product and the marketing and how they're doing both of those. And one advantage they have, but it still creates a challenge as well, is the cross-selling opportunities. I mean, yeah. you know, a fintech will do one thing typically yep. very well, maybe expand it too. Traditional line banks and institutions have a breadth of offering. Can you speak to, you know, if they capture your attention with this one new digital offering, how easy or how difficult is it to cross sell given that, you know, if someone came to you because, Hey, this is a cool digital like function that solves my immediate problem. But now you're trying to sell me something else that I have a yeah. need for, but doesn't necessarily solve it as well as FinTech XYZ. What's the, how's that working? Is it, I is think that, it's, that... I think it's a great question because I think it yeah. is a big, you know, hurdle or fork in the road or whatever. It's, it's a big question that I think still needs to be answered because it is a very different thing to get somebody to, to download an app and put in their information or whatever than it is to actually move all of their financial welfare, financial decisions, you know, cross-sell, upsell, and all that. And we're seeing it already here in the UK. Monzo, really hot out of the gate, early fintech, huge success story. They've been struggling a little bit in terms of how do you actually convert that into a viable, scalable business model? Because traditional banking, you don't make your money on the debit card, the current account, the basic usage of it. And especially with things like Monzo, sometimes people are just using that for their month-to-month -month spending not actually their traditional core financial service needs. So I think that's a big thing. But what I would say is the company that is closest to the customer and has the most trust is I think the company that will win in the long term. And so for me as a Monzo user, I use it as my core bank. And if they had a, a loan offering or whatever it is, I would probably go with them just because I know the brand. I trust them. The customer service is great. It checks all these boxes. And so I think that they have to figure out, they have to convert it into, they have to be able to do that cross-sell, like you said. But I do think that there is a very low bar with a lot of traditional banks in particular, but right. traditional financial service organizations where these fintechs have an opportunity to come in, build trust, deliver value, and then try to convert it into those cross-sells. Yeah. And I'd say the other thing is, is that there's the ones I've seen who try to do it with traditional lines of business after they get a digital footprint. It's it's a broken experience because they've changed their marketing, they've changed their UX, they've changed their experience to try to appeal to this one thing and do this function. But then the problem is they then in turn try to sell something that doesn't feel, look, taste, or, or is even remotely the same kind of messaging. And there's a broken communication there. Yeah. Right? So you have that challenge. And then the other piece I'll say too is, and correct me if I'm wrong or tell me your viewpoint on this. I've seen many fintechs be smart about the density of their apps. There's this app does the one function. Oh, we also have a banking offering. Please download this app, right? Or maybe they'll do two to three functions in one in one app. But you compare that to traditional line businesses, at least in this country, 
and I get a bank with a with an app that is so complex that so many functions that I have to go on a chair, like I have to go on a treasure hunt trying to find anything other than like the main four functions I would look for. And it's like they're trying to, I feel like a lot of them are just trying to throw everything they do at you in a digital experience in one shot because they think more is better or that's that's their competitive mode. Have you encountered that? And have you had to talk them out of that <laughs> curiosity? I, I haven't seen that as much. Just on the camera, personally. you'll see it. You'll see yeah, it all yeah maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's what's so interesting is like, it's obviously so different by market based on who the players are, what the regulation is, you know, the startups that started where and all that. Yeah, so I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I do think that it is, I do think what a lot of fintechs are doing is they're thinking they're thinking about the value of the product but what a lot of startups do really well technology companies in general is they think about how do you have the attention and the connection with the customer and so when they're building these apps it's not just about delivering what the you know the job that the product needs to do it's how can you make the experience one that people enjoy that helps them out that they're willing to spend a little bit more time in it it's not like a painful experience every time you have to go in there and do something and so a lot of what they're doing is very design led UX led and thinking about the holistic experience. So whether that ends up with them having a separate app or trying to pile it all into one, I think that's one of the differences that big assumption and generalization, but I think fintechs are typically better at trying to be really focused on customer centric. What's the experience yeah. of the people using this and then trying to deliver the best, whatever that, that final answer is. This has been great. It's always interesting to hear how the non-startup throwing at stones at the big institutions are trying to cope with this sort of stuff. Before we wrap up, I have three questions I ask everybody. First one is, if you had one wish for something you can change in your business or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Well, in our business and the industry as a whole is a, uh, is a different thing. But I, I would say in our business, you know, I think any business is about the people at the end of the day. So what I would... Actually, maybe I can tie this together into one answer. I would wish that the people who see the world the way that we do, that subscribe to the truly digital is only 1% finished, would be able to find us so yeah. that we can either hire them or we can work with them and hopefully help them solve the problems that they have. And actually, that's a big part of why we do the podcast. You know, we enjoy doing the podcast, of course, but it is almost like a, you know, a lighthouse or a beacon out there putting out our perspective, which is not the only one and maybe not even necessarily the right one, but we are very specific with how we view the industry and what we, you know, what we think people should be thinking about and doing. And that then brings the market to us on the talent side and also on the customer side. So I think that's the thing I would wish for is I don't think that we are perfect for everybody. I don't think that everybody, you know, should necessarily have a job at 11FS, but I think there are people who really subscribe to the same perspective and philosophy that we have. And I would wish that we could know who they are and connect with them. And on brand, you made a statement that appealed to not everybody. You marketed the sub. <laughs> the second question for you is what's been, I mean, to your experience, because you've been there for part of the journey, what's been your biggest, actually, I'm going to modify this. Normally, the question is, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? But I would say, I'm going to modify this too. What is the biggest challenge in getting traditional line businesses to see the world as 1% digital and the need to embrace this level of change? Uh, speed is the word that comes to mind for me, which mm -hmm. is really, we just need to move faster. You know, in the marketing, the product, all these things, speed is the biggest competitive advantage that startups have over traditional. They're just able to move faster. They're able to react to change it. You don't need to predict where things are going. You just need to be able to react to them quicker than your competition. Yeah. So I think it's speed, but really what that means is it just takes so long for traditional organizations to make decisions, to get everybody on board, so many stakeholders, so many levels, all that stuff. And of course that's there for a reason sometimes in terms of risk and all that, 
but I just wish that I think that being able to to move fast is such a huge advantage. Yep. I think it was Jeff Bezos who said the only advantage you have in this world now is speed. And every fintech I advise, it's like, oh, really? You're still thinking about this? Why aren't you making it? Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Move, move now. The last question is, what excites you the most about what it is you do for a living and gets you up out of the bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight? 100% the people. I mean, think about this. Like, I'm technically getting paid. Like, this is part of my job to have this conversation <laughs> with you. And, you know, yeah. we haven't spent a lot of time together, but I feel like we could keep talking for three hours. So I think that's it. You know, there's so many great people within the 11FS walls and outside the 11FS walls in the industry. And I just feel really lucky and humbled to be able to just have conversations like this and try to add value to people who are listening or who I'm meeting with or whatever it is. So it's definitely the people. Yeah, I get that. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's funny before this podcast, I would just reach out to fintech founders, try to convince them to do stuff that would benefit me. And, you know, I was having so many great conversations. I finally said, you know, realized I should just start recording this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the great thing about the fin- about the podcast is it opens the door to more people. So it's been, you know, it's, totally. it's nothing that's but the, interesting conversation after interesting conversation. Yeah, I totally. And that's the thing with this stuff is like, if you can get to a position where you're creating content that is basically just documenting the stuff that you would do or want to do anyway, then you're yeah. in a great spot. I put out a lot of content on LinkedIn these days and the kind of click for me with that or the hack for me is like, I stopped trying to think of things that I should post on LinkedIn. And I just started writing down the things that I was talking about with people day to day and every day. So example, this conversation, I'll probably think about some of the things that we talked about and maybe jot them down and put them out on LinkedIn. Cause I think there's an audience out there, obviously your podcast, but there's a bigger audience out there that hopefully can find it valuable as well. 100% even in my writings, the same thing. It's just like, I kind of, I keep a, an ongoing air table of content to produce. And yeah. uh, it, honestly, it's like, I've had this conversation three times in the last month. I should probably write about it, right? Like it's one of those things where it's, if it's coming up that often, I may as well take the time to document it. And uh, typically it, it's in, in 99% of cases, it's well-received. So okay. anyway, Eric, pleasure speaking with you. I do agree that we could probably spend hours upon hours chatting again, if I'm ever in Boston or I will be to London at some point. And if you're ever in Toronto, we will make sure that happens. But until next, I want to thank you yet again. And until that time comes, uh, I appreciate it. Of course, thanks so much for having me. So that was today's episode of FinTech Impact with uh, Eric from 11FS. I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.